chapter 1. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open to Jonah chapter 1. I typically don't do this, but I'm actually going to read the whole story. And as I read this story, uh, as best as you can, know that this is not just some tale of fiction or, you know, some great folklore that's just meant to inspire. This is a story that actually happened. There was a real God. There was a real man named Jonah. There was a real conversation that took place. Uh, there was a real storm that took place, and there was a real large fish involved in this as well. Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now let me stop there for a minute and give you a picture, geographically speaking, of what's, where Jonah actually is. It says in uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 3, ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Let's go ahead and put up the map uh, of where Jonah actually is. And it's, uh, hopefully you'll be able to see it. It's a little brighter in here than normal. Do we have the map? There we go. It's a little fuzzy, but you've got uh, down on my right, uh, you've got Joppa, then you've got Nineveh right above it, and then you've got Tarshish way off to the other side. Uh, now, as you consider this map, uh, maybe it helps thinking modern-day uh, geography. Joppa would be modern-day Tel Aviv, uh, somewhere really close to Israel. Uh, Nineveh would be modern-day northern Iraq, I think somewhere near uh, Mogul. Uh, Tarshish is way beyond Spain, right at the border of uh, the Mediterranean and the Atlantic Ocean. So for Jonah to go down to Joppa, uh, literally it'd be a few hundred miles to Nineveh, but for Jonah to go all the way from Joppa to Tarshish in ancient times, this is about 8th century BC, uh, that would be to travel to the end of the world. So in many ways, Jonah is, as best as he can tell, he's going as far away as possible uh, from God, thinking that he could escape God. And just as you keep in mind this story, I think when you read Jonah, you're like, oh, this probably happened in the span of a day or two days. Uh, to get from Joppa all the way to Tarshish, which it's clear he didn't arrive there, would literally be a months and months of a long journey. Uh, this is ancient ships that don't travel that fast, uh, and it would take literally months for him to get from point A uh, to point B. Uh, but God wanted him at point C. Uh, verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea and, uh, to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, uh, where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you be asleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe, just maybe, he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. And then the sailors, in verse 7, said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Verse 8, so they asked him, listen to this list of questions. Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and made the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? 
for they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, these men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And then verse 17, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. Now, as I walk through um, this Jonah chapter 1, uh, my aim today is just to uh, highlight three things that we learn about God. Three things that we learn about God from Jonah chapter 1, and consequently, some things that we learn about ourselves along the way, specifically as we look at Jonah and how he responded uh, to God. So, first thing that we learn uh, about God is, number one is simply this. God has a mission for you that only you can fulfill. God has a mission for you that only you can fulfill. Uh, verse 2 in chapter 1 says, Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. What I learned about God from this is God had a specific mission, had a specific role for Jonah. And what I love about this is, clearly as we read in the story, Jonah bailed. Jonah didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. God clearly could have just said, well, forget it then, Jonah. I'll find someone else to do what I asked you to do. But what I learn and what I see about God is God has a mission for you that only you can fulfill. Another way of saying that is God wants to use you. God has a plan or a purpose for you. God wants to use you, and I would say it like this, God's mission for you is nothing short of changing the world around you. The mission for Jonah was, Jonah, go to the largest city in the Assyrian Empire at the time. By the way, the Assyrian Empire uh, was the biggest threat to the nation of Israel. So go to the city that is the biggest threat to your nation and actually preach against it. God wanted to use Jonah. And so again, as I, I learn about what I learn about God is God specifically has a mission for you. Now, what I learn about myself in light of what I've just said about God is anytime um, God makes clear to me what it is he wants me to do, I come to what I will just call a crisis of choice. And I say crisis of choice simply because I'm either going to do what God wants me to do, or I'm going to do what I want to do. Jonah, surprisingly, actually chooses what he wants to do. And I say surprisingly because he's God's prophet. Like, you would think the prophet of God is kind of the cream of the crop, that this would be the guy that would say yes to anything and everything that God wanted him to do. But when Jonah came to his crisis of choice, do I do what God wants me to do, or do I do what ultimately I want to do? Jonah said in verse 3, uh, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port, 
And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Crisis of choice. When God makes clear to you what he wants you to do, you've got to make a decision. It's a crisis of, do I do what God wants, or do ultimately I do what I want? And I've really wrestled with, why did Jonah do what he wanted? Again, it's Jonah. I mean, you would just think he's the prophet. He does what God wants. So why is it that Jonah ultimately headed east um, or headed west when God wanted him to head east? Now, I don't know. Uh, I could come up with a long list, but maybe one of them is uh, the Ninevites. Well, they just weren't Jews. And so in Jonah's mind, why on earth would I care about them? God, I don't even know if you care about them. So why should I care about them? I mean, he would not look favorably upon the nation who, at a moment's notice, could just crush them. So maybe for Jonah, is, it's just simply, they're not Jews, so I'm not going. Maybe for Jonah, it was just simply, I don't, I'm, I'm concerned about my reputation, God. And if I go and preach against the city, and the city actually listens to that message that God's judgment's coming, I'll be seen as a false prophet. And I got a pretty good gig going here as a prophet in Israel. I'm well-liked. Um, and I don't want to lose my reputation and become some false prophet. Maybe for Jonah, he's just scared. Just good old-fashioned, he's scared. I mean, can you imagine if I told you, I want you to fly to Vegas, known as Sin City, and I want you to find the first 120,000 people that you, you come across, and however you do it, I want you to specifically tell them that God's judgment is coming upon them because their evilness or wickedness has come, to, come up to him. Now, I think some of us, are, if we're honest, we'd be like, I'm not going. I'm not flying to Vegas to do that. That would be crazy. And you'd come up with maybe a list of reasons. I don't know, maybe someone would actually attack you because you're attacking them. Uh, maybe for Jonah, God's plan just it didn't even make sense. God, why would a prophet from Israel who lives in Israel go to Nineveh, a people who don't know you? It just doesn't make any sense, God. So, again, the list of reasons could be long as to why he said no, why he didn't go. But my point is, is simply this. Jonah focused on what might happen, and I stress that, what might happen rather than what God wanted to happen. And anytime we focus on what could happen, we quickly will lose sight of what God wants to do with us and through us. I don't know if you've found that in your own experience with God, when God asks you to do something to go somewhere, to say something, and you hit that crisis of belief, and you begin to, or crisis of choice, and you begin to get really worried of, well, this could happen, and this might happen. They might say this. They might reject me over here. And you become so focused on what could happen, what might happen, that you've completely missed what God wants to happen. For Jonah, I mean, I think it's amazing that God would want to use him to speak to 120,000 people. Isn't that amazing? That God would want to use him to say, Jonah, I want you to go have an impact and influence on this great city, the greatest city in the Assyrian Empire. Jonah could have responded with absolute humility, like, God, why me? Why would you entrust me with such an awesome responsibility of proclaiming your word to these people? But I think for Jonah, he didn't see it as it was a great gift to actually be used by God. I think Jonah was blinded by how this mission of God might inconvenience his setup 
or his lifestyle. I don't know if this has been your experience, but it's been mine. As I read scripture, I continually find God um, interrupting people's lives. People just kind of going about their normal day, and God interrupts. God comes to them and says, I've got something new for you. I have a, a mission, a task, a responsibility for you. And for me, as I've walked with God, one of the things that I've had to learn how to do is learn how to be okay with actually living a life that's interrupted. Because it's so easy to just get set in your pattern, in your ways, in your habits. But when God comes and says, but I have something new for you. I have a new task, a new responsibility, or a new mission. We choose being comfortable or just keeping things convenient rather than choosing the mission that God ultimately has for us. Um, I don't know if you guys have read Moby Dick this week, but uh, if you haven't, I'll fill you in on the details. Um, there's a great, uh, it's a great story, um, and the night before uh, the sailors are setting out for sea and they're going to encounter... Uh, this big, big fish, uh, they go to a chapel service. And at the chapel service, the pastor that night happens uh, to be preaching on the book of Jonah. And ironically enough, the thing that uh, the, the chaplain, the pastor in the book says, do you know why Jonah had such a hard time, why he ran from God? And this is, I, I love this quote from uh, Herman Melville's uh, Moby Dick. He says this, if we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And it, and it is this disobeying ourselves wherein the hardness of obeying God consists. Let me read it one more time. If we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And it is in this disobeying ourselves wherein the hardness of obeying God consists. If I'm going to be obedient to the mission that God has for me, for what God wants me to do, that means I will disobey my flesh. And I don't know how your flesh works, but my flesh works of, I like it to be easy, I like it to be comfortable, I like it to be cozy and convenient. And sometimes when God asks me to do something that's outside of my comfort, my coziness, my convenience, I have to fight the flesh to say, crisis of choice. Obey my flesh and what my flesh wants, or obey the living God and what God ultimately wants to do. Um, Jonah ran. You know that, that story. Jonah clearly chose to be obedient to his flesh. Uh, he ran. Now, as I've considered this, and I've considered the many times in my life where I ran, clearly ran from what God, I knew what God wanted me to do, uh, but I ran. Here's some things that I've learned along the way about those who run. The road away from God is always, and I stress, always a downward spiral. We often think that if I can just get away from God, life will be so much better. Life will be so much easier. I'll be so much happier the further I get away from God because God is, he's demanding. He's just a hard God who wants me to do hard things. And so if I run and do my own thing, life will be so much better. What I've seen is it actually only leads to a deadening of the soul, a life of going through the motions, but never experiencing the inner peace and joy that we long for. And I would say that because how could you ever experience the life that God has for you in its entirety if you're just hell-bent on running away from Him? Crisis of choice. Those who choose to run, it is always 
always a downward spiral. I'd say this, running away from God never happens in a vacuum. To those of you who think, if I'm running, it's just hurting me. It's just impacting me. Why does it matter if I run? Because it's, it's just me. When you run, when I run, it has a negative impact on numerous, countless numbers of people. In Jonah chapter 1, he says this, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. See, Jonah thought he could just board a ship, and no one would know what he was doing, and it didn't matter. But these sailors finally came and said, Someone is responsible for this. We need to find out who. So in your running, know you're not running in a vacuum where you're the only person impacted. There are countless numbers of people uh, that are impacted by a decision to obey the flesh rather than to obey God. And uh, I think for me, this last point on consequences of running, um, I don't know, has, has had an impact on me over the years. Uh, running away from God can happen to you. I think it's easy to have the attitude that just says, well, that's never going to happen to me. I'm not the guy who's going out and just living, you know, a completely offensive life to God. And I'm not going out and sleeping around and shacking up and drinking and doing drugs. I'm not that guy. Well, clearly there's plenty of people who do that and their life is an affront to God. They're just doing their own thing. That's the obvious runners, as it were. But then there's the not-so-obvious runners. And I would say I used to be one of them. And when I realized that I was using my good deeds, good works, good performance as a mask to really cover up a life that was ultimately still about me. I would use coming to church, reading my Bible, serving and giving, just trying to be an all-around good guy. I finally was really convicted by the Lord when the Lord said, you know, you're just using those things as a mask to really cover up a life that's still all about you. You look good on the outside, Davis, but I can see. I can see what's in your heart. And when it comes to doing my, my way, my mission for you, you're still hell-bent on doing your way. People think from appearances that you're doing God's thing, but I can see. And there was a conversion of my soul years back uh, when God graciously ripped the mask off, as it were, to say, put down your, your performance and start running with me, not uh, away from me. I'm guessing that today that um, there's some runners here. And I honestly believe that if you're here today and you're in that category of you've just been running, maybe you're running and it's just a completely blatant uh, life that's an offense to God just by the decisions that you're making. But I have a feeling there's probably more people who are on the outside. They look, they look like they're walking, but peel back the layer a little bit, and it's a mask. It's a cover for a life that's still really about you. You're here today so that you could hear God say to you, it's time to stop running. It's time to stop pretending that you're not running, and it's just stop running and start walking with God because the God's, God who has invited you, he has a mission for you. He has something great where he wants to use you to do great things to impact people around you. That's the first thing I learned about God. The second thing that I learned about God uh, in this Jonah chapter 1 is simply this. 
Um, God loves you too much to allow you to miss what he has for you. My first thing is God wants to use you. He's got a mission for you. That's just for you. No one else can do that. He's got something for you. Secondly, God loves you too much to allow you to miss what he has for you. The most loving thing that God could do for a running Jonah was to simply send the perfect storm. Jonah 1, verse 4. Then the Lord, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God literally sent the perfect storm Jonah's way. And I honestly see this perfect storm, as it were, not so much as punishment for disobedience, rather I see this storm as God's intervention in Jonah's life brought on by God's affection for Jonah. I'm not saying there's not consequences for being disobedient to God. There clearly are. But what I see this storm as is God intervening in Jonah's life. And that intervention was not driven by God's anger, but it was actually driven by God's affection for Jonah. Let me just simply ask the question, did you know that you are loved by God enough that he will pursue you even if it means sending a storm your way? just to intervene. God will do that. Why? Not because he's mean, not because he's cruel, but because, but because God loves you enough to rescue you from you. I see the intervention of Jonah as God intervening or liberating Jonah from Jonah. C.S. Lewis, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but a prolific author in the 20th century uh, was profound atheist, uh, meaning pretty dead set against all things God. And uh, in his book, uh, Surprised by Joy, which is really kind of his autobiography, he talks about uh, how his heart's desire was, I just wanted God to leave me alone. But God loved Jonah, God loved C.S. Lewis enough to intervene. C.S. Lewis says this in Surprised by Joy, I had always wanted above all things not to be interfered with. I had wanted to call my soul my own. Does that resonate or sound familiar to you? I had always wanted, above all things, not to be interfered with. It's kind of the heart, the attitude that says, God, just leave me alone. I'm thankful that that's one of those things God loves us too much to answer that prayer. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, You must picture me alone in that room, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. A guy just dead set against, I don't want to meet this one, but he wants to meet me. What I see in God from Jonah is he's got a mission for you. He has something that is just for you that only you can do, and God wants to use you to do that. Secondly, God loves you too much to allow you to miss what it is that he has for you. It's just another way of saying he just loves you too much to leave you alone. And I'm honestly thankful that in my 39 years of walking with God, just being alive, that God's not left me alone. I can't think back to a moment in time where I could say, yeah, God abandoned me. God left me alone. But I can tell you countless stories of he pursued me here. 
He pursued me here. He sent a storm here. He sent a storm there. All driven by God loves us too much to allow us to miss what he has for us. But like Jonah, one of the things I learn about myself through Jonah, I think one of the things we learn about ourselves is simply uh, we have a tendency to sleep. We have a tendency to sleep through the storms that God is sending our way to wake us up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 5. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They're praying. They're throwing stuff overboard. These guys are absolutely freaking out. And you have to keep in mind, these are real, like, sailors. I mean, if they're going from Joppa to Tarshish, that's a long way. This is not like your first time. This is... These guys are, have seen some crazy stuff on the open seas. They're praying. They're freaking out. But yet, where's Jonah? But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. How is it possible that everyone else is freaking out, but yet Jonah is fast asleep? I think what happens, and happened to Jonah, and and maybe it will resonate because it happens to you, or maybe it's happening right now. If I don't think about this, it will eventually go away. If I try to avoid it, it will eventually disappear. Jonah physically, literally physically, was running from God, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, he was doing the same thing. It's the person who just completely checks out, and when you completely check out, you fall asleep until the point where, literally, it wasn't even the storm that woke Jonah up. You know what woke Jonah up? The captain. The captain had to come down and shake him and said, Sleeper, wake up. How could you possibly be sleeping in the midst of this storm? We're on the verge of dying. How could you possibly be down here sleeping? Well, what Jonah soon learned and what I soon learned is a few things, again, about God. Number one is simply this. It's impossible to outrun him. It's impossible. So if you think you're in a place where you're just trying to run from God, you're just trying to do enough to maybe appease God, but ultimately your life is still running from him, it's futile. It's just absolutely impossible to run from God. Uh, a great book, um, Surprised by Grace, uh, Tullian Chavigian said this, it's impossible to outpace his pursuing affection. Isn't that a great quote? It's absolutely impossible to outpace his pursuing affection. The harder we run, the more he pursues. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he's got something for you. He has a mission that only you can do, and he wants to use you to accomplish that perfect, his perfect will. I'd say God will wake you up. One way or another, he will wake you up. You can't outrun him, and you can't stay asleep. One way or another, God will wake you up. Whether it's a storm, or whether it's someone else coming to you and saying, come on, man, what are you doing? Don't you see that everything around you is completely falling apart? You can't outrun and you, you can't stay asleep. Why? Because God will pursue and God will wake you up. The question, I guess, might just simply be, well, what does it mean to be woken up? Because if you're here today, and maybe today's your wake-up call, because you just hear God speaking to your heart saying, stop pretending. It's time to stop running and start walking with me and all that I have for you. 
It's time to wake up. What does waking up actually look like? Well, I think it's pretty simple. It looks like confession and repentance. If you look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to you to make this sea calm down for us? I love that question. <laughs> uh, is there something we can do to you right now that will help our situation improve just a little? And Jonah, verse 12, simply says, Well, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, I have no idea if Jonah's just doing the noble thing. He's got really two options. Either we're all going to die together or I'll die alone. Jonah said, I'll die alone. Because I know that if you do this, God is big enough to stop this. So I have no idea why he was doing, why he said that. But what I see in Jonah is he finally confessed. He just simply said, this is my fault. What's happening here, what's happening to you, what's happening around us, it's all on me. This is my disobedience. He'd already told them, I'm running from God. And he said, this moment in verse 12, this is my fault. There was a point in time for us when God is waking us up, we just confess. God, this is where I'm at. This is what I've done. And confession coupled with repentance means we stop what we were doing and start something new. Instead of going west, we start traveling east where God's called us to go. What I love about the confession and repentance piece is we don't confess and repent because we're some really righteous, awesome people and they're like, yes, I'm, I can do that. We are able to confess and repent because God's kindness towards us. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 2, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. The reason God chases, the reason God pursues is because he loves you. And our response to the love of God poured out, pursuing us, is to confess. This is where I'm at. And to repent, this is now where I'm going. God's got something for you fully convinced of that. That only you can do. I can't do it. person sitting next to you can't do it. God's got something for you. Secondly, God loves you too much to allow you to miss what he has for you. A storm. Someone coming saying, wake up. Today might be that day. Today is, for some, if maybe not a lot of us, is it's just time to wake up from a slumber of sleeping through what God's trying to do. And he's waking you up because he loves you. And he has something for you. Lastly, finish with this. God is sovereign over all things, namely our salvation. It would be hard not to read Jonah chapter 1 and come to the conclusion, wow, God really knows what he's doing. God's really in control. God's really in charge of all things and all times and all places. Because it doesn't matter if he was in Joppa or Tarshish or headed to Nineveh or somewhere between the, the, the two places. God is completely in control of all things. And it's interesting to me, the first person who really recognizes and confesses the sovereignty of God is not Jonah per se, but the sailors. Verse 14, Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, and they used the name Yahweh. 
They're not just crying out to their false gods or their demon gods. They're calling out to the God of gods, the Lord of lords, calling out to Yahweh. Please, Lord or Yahweh, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Yahweh, have done as you pleased. They not only recognize that this is a God that they would have to give an account to for their actions, but they recognize that this is a God that was responsible for everything that was happening around them. And anytime there is a recognition of the sovereignty of God in your life, do you know what the logical response is? Well, if you're that, then I'll follow you. If you are in control of all things at all times in all places, you'd have to realize that you're not. He is, and so you follow. See, knowing that God is sovereign is not just a theologically correct thing to say. It literally should lead us to the conclusion, like these sailors, when they said, then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, I don't know exactly what the vow was that they made, but as best as we can tell from what they're doing is we're walking with you in light of what we've just seen, in light of what we now know of who you are, how you've revealed yourself to us, that you're sovereign, in control. You've orchestrated this whole thing. We'll follow you. We'll worship you. We'll make sacrifices to you. The vows that we've made, we'll keep. Why? Because you are absolutely sovereign. God's sovereignty shows up in his salvation. Meaning that he's a God who is able to, powerful enough to save. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this uh, next week uh, when we look at Jonah 117. Uh, that says the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Clearly, God could have let Jonah just drown. Right? It was an option for him. He could have been like, well, peace out, runaway. Enjoy your swim. It's just not God, though. See, God is not a God who's content just to let us run away from him. But God is also a God who is not content to watch us try to save ourselves and just flounder in the water, as it were. God is a God who is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he saves. See, God could have looked at me in in my predicament, in my rebellion, in my hard-heartedness, and said, Davis, you made your bed, you live in it, you lie in it, and you pay the consequences for your rebellion against me say the same thing to you. And he would be just in doing that because we rebelled against a holy God. But God, being completely sovereign, is a God who who saves. Not because we did something, but because we needed saving. Romans makes it pretty clear. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I'm still a sinner, stuck, lost, dying in my sin, God said, I'm sending salvation. My salvation is in in my son Jesus. Titus, Paul says this in uh, chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. God's love, his grace, it showed up. It appeared 
To who? To all men. Why? So that all men would know salvation from a God who's, who's sovereign. I, I just learned in Jonah chapter 1. He's a God who has a mission for me. I learned that God loves me enough not to let me miss or run away from what he has for me. And I learned that God is sovereign over all of these things and will orchestrate all of the events of my life in order for me not only to embrace what God has for me, but also that I don't miss the salvation that God has for me. Again, the heart of our series as going through Jonah is that your testimony of God would increase. That maybe even next week you'll be able to say, this is our God, and how you fill in the blanks there, it's increased from what you'd say right now. I mentioned this beginning, and I'll finish simply with this. Your testimony of who God is will directly impact or impede whether you walk with God or you don't. Because as I think about it, I, I want to get to know the God who's got a mission for me more and more. I, I want to worship and love and, and follow a God who loves me enough to pursue me even when I'm running the other way from him. I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to love more this God. And I want to, if he's sovereign, in control, and he's a God who saves, see, my testimony is just growing and growing and growing as I learn more about God. That's Jonah chapter 1. He's got mission for you. He wants to use you. He'll pursue you, even if you run. He'll send the storms. He'll send somebody to wake you up. And God is absolutely sovereign over all things. Today, uh, as we uh, just get ready to spend some time in worship, spend some time in communion, if you're in a place uh, where you're just running, can I just invite you to stop? Can I just invite you to stop? God has so much for you, so much that he wants you to see. God wants to use you to bless, to encourage, to inspire, to influence people who don't know him. He wants you to use you to make that impact, that eternal impact. But it's really hard to be used by God when I'm running from him. So if you're here today and you're just running, I'll let today, Sunday, May 27th, be the day that you declared, I'm done running, God. I'm done running. And again, it might not be this really obvious way that you're running from God. It could be you're really the sneaky, stealthy runner. And you're just using a life that looks really good, but it's time to take that mask off and say, God, I can't fake you out and I'm tired of running. So I would invite you to, to stop. And if you're here today, and it's not a question of just running from what God has for you, but just running from God, that you don't even have a relationship with God, today would be a great day to begin that relationship. Because God is a God who provides salvation. Not because you worked for it or earned it, but because He's a God who provides salvation to all those who would believe. And the salvation comes through only one way. One person, his son, Jesus. I'm going to spend some time just praying and uh, invite you to pray as well. Respond to whatever it is God's talking to you about.
just respond to what God's been talking to you about. Father God, thank you that you are a God who has, wants to use us, that you are a God who's got mission for us. God, I, I pray that, um, I just I give thanks that you're a God who loved us enough to pursue us even when we run. And God, if there's one or two or three or more that are literally just running from you, it might not be obvious to those that are around them, but God, it's, it's blatantly clear to you. So God, if there's one, if not more, that are just running, God, today, would you allow them to hear your voice saying, stop running and to wake up to all that you would have for them. God, if there's someone here today that just has not even begun the relationship with you, I pray in this moment, in this time, right now, God, that they would receive the salvation that you provide through your son, Jesus. And if that's you, just know salvation, relationship with God, begins, is sustained, and ends with Jesus. So your prayer is simply crying out to Jesus, confessing Him as God, receiving Him as Savior. Respond to God in this time. As you're ready, we celebrate communion. Come forward if you're a Christian. And remember, we even can do this because Jesus did it for us. He came, He lived without sin, died on a cross, and was raised back to life. As you come forward, if uh, God's just been tugging on your heart and in a way that you just would love someone else to know that, but also kind of pray with you, maybe even ask, be able to ask some questions. Um, John Bandai, our, our lead deacon, and Jeremy, one of our elders, uh, would just love to pray with you. Uh, they're not here to, they just want to listen and uh, hear what God's been talking to you about uh, so that they might pray with you. So come forward and, and uh, share what God spoke to you with them and even celebrate that. So as you're ready, come forward.